Good to see everybody this morning. I, 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 think, I think I probably know that everybody has been uh, through this at some point in time in life, that, that after, after you've done something, um, you know, whatever that something is, whatever that it is, uh, after you've done something, you've looked back and you've gone, you know what, I, I really wish that I had somebody tell me before I did this, this would have been a really bad idea. Um, so, for instance, uh, one of those times uh, for, for me, you know, I only have one or two of those, so uh, it's hard to come up with one. Uh, but uh, 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 one of those times for me, uh, we were, uh, this was when we lived in Arkansas, and we lived out uh, outside of town by a, a little bit, and, and uh, we wanted to grill out that night. And I put the charcoal in the grill, and uh, oh, man, I forgot that we ran out of charcoal lighter fluid. So... What can I do to make this start? You know, the newspaper, didn't, that didn't quite work and, and, and stuff. And so I was like, what else can I do to make this try and start? And so some of you are shaking your head or nodding your head. Um, the ladies are shaking. The guys are nodding. <laughs> and so I'm like, what else is flammable? Gasoline. Gasoline is flammable. Gasoline is flammable, so let's pour just a little bit of gasoline on the charcoal, and, and that'll work, right? It, they're both flammable. They're both similar to each other in the fact that they're flammable. The dissimilarity is the quickness of the, of the flammability of each one. For those of you that haven't tried this, ladies, um, it sounds like all the guys have tried this. Uh, for the ladies that haven't watched your guys do this, um, gasoline is, 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 well, what we might say combustible, and, and charcoal lighter fluid is a slow burn. And so pretty much as soon as you strike the match, the fumes have come up enough that uh, the match kind of explodes in your hand. So the, the good news is that I didn't have to grow anything back. <laughs> Eyebrows, nose, you know, anything. I, I didn't have to get a skin graft or anything like that. The other good news is that I <clears throat> learned that I just go into the store <laughs> to get the charcoal or we cook inside, one of the, one of the two. Uh, and so we all have something in our life that we wish that somebody would have been there to foreshadow what would have occurred if we went through with our plan. Now, you know, I can laugh about the whole, you know, gasoline and charcoal bit because... This is bringing up some bad memories for... for yeah, right, I'm sorry. Yeah, Dave, uh, Dave, you know, yeah, burned his hand up pretty good about three months ago. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Nathan about perished with him. And that, I now work in a different store. Yeah, right. <laughs> For a different boss and for, yes. Uh, and, and so all of us have that situation in life that we can probably look back and laugh at unless you did lose eyebrows or anything, skin. Uh, uh, but we also have those things that we look back in life and go, man, if, if somebody would have just been able to tell me beforehand the pain that this caused. And actually physical pain is easier to deal with than emotional and spiritual and psychological pain, isn't it? And if we only had somebody to go back and say, oh, I don't know if that would be a good idea for you to do that, or if he's a good idea for you, or if she's a good idea. Or... But 
Let's take that a step further. We probably have things in our life that we knew ourselves were a bad idea. And we said, you better not do that. You better not do that. Better not do that. And then we decided to do it anyway. And then the hurt and the pain and the suffering came about. Or we had somebody that looked at us and said, uh, that's a bad idea. We did have somebody try and tell us. And then we did it anyway. And, and sometimes we actually had to call that person back. And, you know, maybe it was, you know, Dad, you know that thing that I told you, you told me not to do? Well, come bail me out of jail, you know. And the hurt and the emotional and the psychological pain that occurs because of the things that we do in life. Now I'm going to throw God into this equation. It's bad enough when we just, you know, have to deal with ourselves because nobody's harder on ourselves than ourselves. And it's bad enough when we have to deal with somebody else that had told us not to do something and we did it and, and, and the pain. And, but when we throw God into the equation, it kind of ups the ante. We're in this series called Foreshadowing. We're, we're finishing the series. If you weren't with us with the, uh, for the first three sermons in the series, this isn't necessarily your typical Christmas series from the standpoint of, you know, uh, nice and reds and greens and, and, and sweet and all, all this. We, we're actually going back a little bit to the mysterious and the, and the, the foreshadowing of Christ and that God, God told us in advance five, six, seven hundred years and more in advance that there's somebody coming. And maybe for some of us, a God that knows the future and controls the future and is in the future creeps us out a little bit. But actually, it should comfort us. But the thing is, is about the personality and the characteristics of God is that He knew that we were going to sin. He knew that we were going to do it. He also was there when we did sin. Before we ever did. And as we sit here right now, He is there the next time you do sin. He is there right now. If we were God, and we knew that we were going to sin, but even more than that, we were there, kind of like something like Scrooge in, 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 in Christmas future, right? We were actually there when we did sin again. How would we control that situation to make it different? How would we control that situation? Those of you that have been in church maybe for quite a while, you're like, oh, I know how I control that situation. It's all cute and Jesus and everything. But no, 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 no. How would we really try and control that situation? I think we'd probably try and have a heavy hand of control. We'd probably try and squash that. Here's how I know that. Basically, Facebook the past three days.
when we see somebody else sin in our culture and in our nation, no matter what aisle you stand on, what do we try and do? We try and squash the sin. We try and squash the sinner. But what does God do? How did God go about it? And why was it important that God gave us 700 years in advance a picture of how he will control sin? See, for some of us, when we talk about Old Testament and Old Testament prophecy, we're used to doom and gloom and hellfire and brimstone and all of that. You're like, yeah, that's why I, I, I put church in my rearview mirror for a while or whatever. But, the, but actually, we just stop reading. The Old Testament prophets weren't about gloom and doom. They were about discipline to get to mercy. They're about discipline to get to grace. Grace is only so good as the alternative is bad. And so when Isaiah, a guy that lived 700 years before Christ, God gave Isaiah a picture about how he was going to control sin. Because before the foundation of the earth, he knew that we were going to sin. Before the foundation of the earth, he was there when we sinned. He was there when Adam and Eve sinned, before he even created the earth. He was there when we first sinned, before he even created the earth. And as Peter said, his plan was the same from before eternity. I, it, it didn't go through God's mind when Adam and Eve sinned. He didn't go, oh no, what do I do now? He knew exactly how he was going to go about controlling the sin problem. And it's different than how you or I would control the sin problem. I just watch Facebook or Twitter. It was last night that I felt like it's safe to go back on Facebook again. Isaiah 52, 14. See a picture of a servant. A servant that God was foreshadowing. 700 years in advance. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured that he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. This is talking about the brutal torture that Jesus would go through before he died. That when he hung on the cross, he was beaten so badly, people couldn't recognize him. And God is telling Isaiah this 700 years before it happened. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they have not been told. They will understand what they have not heard about. See, Pilate, when Jesus, before Jesus went to the cross, Pilate was confused. Pilate didn't understand what to do with this Jesus. 
It said even Pilate was frightened by Jesus because of, because of what they were saying about him and what Jesus was doing or not doing. And, and, and this king, this, this governor, this ruler, it's like, I, I don't, I'm startled by this. I don't know what to do with this. And God tells us this 700 years in advance before it even happens. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? He has revealed this message. He's told us this was coming. But at the same time, despite the fact that that we all should have seen it coming, people had a hard time believing because we still wouldn't have done it that way. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root and dry ground. Part of the reason why is that people had a hard time believing it because Jesus grew up like any normal person. Jesus didn't show up as a 30-year-old, just come on the scene and go, I'm here. I'm like, where'd you come from, Scott Bakula? You know, like, like <laughs> quantum leap. Like, what? Where did you come from? They knew where he came from. That was the problem is that he grew up like any normal person. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. Despite female news anchors on Fox News, Jesus was a Middle Eastern. Despite the pictures we've seen, Jesus was not a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Norwegian. A blonde-haired, blue-eyed Norwegian growing up in the Middle East would have been abnormal. Right? Jesus looked more like Saddam Hussein than any of us. He was normal. They didn't follow him because of his appearance. They didn't follow him because he was taller than everybody else, stronger than anybody else, buffer than anybody else. I mean, you know, we would have followed Gideon because of that, but not Jesus. He was normal. But this is why. This is why. Why Jesus? Why all this fuss? Why all this foreshadow? Why all this prophecy? Why tell us in advance? Why go here? He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other, and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. The servant, the servant came to be despised and rejected, despised and forgotten. The servant came to be despised and forgotten. That was why he came. Why Jesus? After we sin, what do we feel like? feel despised and forgotten, right? After you used your body, you felt despised and forgotten. After you used your body, after you used them, after you lied, after they lied, after you felt despised and forgotten. Servant came so that he could be despised and forgotten. Why? As Hebrew says, so that he could identify every single 
one of us. Who forgot him? Everybody. Well, I grew up in church. That doesn't make you perfect, now does it? All of us forget Jesus. All of us don't care about Jesus at some point in time or another. We come to that moment where we say, I don't care what you say. And we forget about Jesus. And maybe some of you are there right now, like, why should I even care about Jesus? And that's, that's a fair question. Maybe you've been mistreated by the church. Maybe you haven't. Maybe, maybe you've never been in church or not been in church very much. And you're like, why on earth should I even care about some dude that was born 2,000 years ago? I mean, Caesar was born 2,000 years ago, and I don't really care about him. I mean, it's all fascinating history and everything, but why? Why should I care about this guy? Why should it even matter? Say 53.4. Yet, despite the fact that we did not care about him, despite the fact that he was despised, despite the fact that he was forgotten, despite the fact that he was not cared about, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. What happens when we sin? We get weak. What happens when we sin? We get sorrowful. Even though we didn't care about him, he carried our sorrow. He carried our weakness. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. The whole reason why he was killed was because people thought he was blaspheming God. He was calling himself the son of God. He was calling himself uh, 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 the king of the Jews. He was calling God his father, which meant that he was calling himself equal to his father, which was a, 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 a crime, a sin, punishable by death. He died because people thought God wanted him dead because he was a sinner, a blasphemer. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our, our own. At some point in time in life, we have said, I'm not interested in your path, God. I'm not interested in your path, Jesus. I want my own path. Because of that, it's brought hurt, it's brought pain, it's brought oppression, it's brought crushing on our soul. Yet, despite all of this, the Lord laid on him sins. That's all. He was oppressed, treated harshly. Why should we care? Because a servant came to be oppressed and treated harshly on our behalf. On our behalf. God knew we were going to sin. 2,700 years before we were born, 
God knew we were going to sin. Sitting here today, God knows and is present at our next sin. So what is he going to do to control that? It's actually for us what he already did. Took our sins, laid them on the servant, and allowed this servant to be oppressed and treated harshly on our behalf. Maybe some of you are like, whoa, this is, did I just go in a time warp here? This is more Easter than Christmas. The celebration of a birth can only be so great as a celebration of their death. If he died a normal life, his birth doesn't matter, right? If he died a normal life, then his birth is the same as the six, twelve billion births that have occurred during the span of history. But because of his death is different, his birth is different. When Jesus showed up in a manger, in some out-of-the-way cave, born in front of animals, laid in a feeding trough, and just normal wrapping cloths. That baby lying there, his purpose, his destiny, the reason why he came, was to be treated harshly on our behalf. Because the way God controls sin isn't to squash us. The way God controls sin is to put sin on somebody else. Himself. That's how He controlled sin. So instead of yelling, instead of getting all up in arms, instead of getting defensive towards people who didn't get it, defensive towards people who, who, who wanted to persecute him, instead of going to Twitter and Facebook and getting all up in arms, what did he do? Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep... And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. When he had a chance to defend himself and try to get himself off the hook, he kept his mouth shut. Why? Because he came to be treated harshly on our behalf. The only time he opened his mouth was to answer, yes, I am the king of the Jews which is the answer that would get him killed. The only time he opened his mouth in his last hours was when he knew the answer he was going to give was going to lead to his death. And every time, every time else, when they were falsely accusing him, he kept his mouth shut. 
He had done no wrong. And had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's cave. Now this is just God showing off. Like I want to give a little detail in here that, that, that is unmistakable. He's going to be, be buried in a rich man's cave. And this is the only time that he was ever associated with anything rich. It's for a temporary housing department for his body that was going to raise again. And a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, came and took his body and buried him in his own tomb. A rich man's grave. Maybe you're saying, man, that's, that's pretty harsh. Pretty hard. Like, what? Why did it have to be this way? Couldn't it, couldn't it have been some other way? Couldn't, it, couldn't he have figured out another way to go about this? Couldn't he have figured out something different to do to lay the sins upon himself? Couldn't, couldn't he have just done it? Well, he could have. He's God. He could do anything he wanted to, right? He could write his own story. This is why. Isaiah 53.10 But, as if God anticipated that question, right? As if God anticipated we'd get to that point and go, hey, hold on a second. Couldn't this have been done this another way? But, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. This was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will to cause him grief. What did Jesus do his last hours? God, Father, you know what? It'd be great if your will was something different. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fuss about that. But your will be done. I don't think that's necessarily an, 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 an if sort of thing. I think it's a because sort of thing. But because this is your will, because your will is going to be done, I will do it. And when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Hold on a second. Didn't, didn't Isaiah just say... You know, he was, going to be, he was going to be born without descendants. And I, I apologize, I didn't end up reading uh, that, that part. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's cave. But now, 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 now Isaiah says he will have many descendants? And you're like, wait a minute, Jesus died single. If you're single in a ministry, you better not have descendants. Like, he said he didn't have descendants, and so nobody cared about that. Now he's going to have descendants. What is that all about? When we ask God to forgive us, when we get tired of our own path and ask God to forgive us, Ephesians says we become adopted as sons into his family. 
giving Jesus descendants. He will enjoy a long life. Wait a minute, wait a minute, we're talking about this dude's death. How is he going to have a long life if he's dying? Last week we took a look at that while he was born, he was the ancient of days, or he was from antiquity. While he was born, he was always. And he resurrected because he's always. And that eternity would be characterized as a long life, wouldn't you think? And the good, Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. As harsh of a reality this is, it was in Jesus' hands that, his, that this will, this plan prospered. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Paul says later about Jesus that he took all the sins of us upon himself so that he could then give the righteousness that he lived to us. This is God's will. This is why he had to go through this. This is why he had to be the sacrificial lamb. He had to be the one who died because he lived the perfect life. He had to be the one. This was God's will. He had to be the one. So that he could take our sin away from us, put it on him, and take his righteousness and put it on us. See, a lot of times when we hear the plan of salvation, we, we stop at the forgiveness part. Ask Jesus into your heart. He will forgive you of your sins. And then what this leaves is a debtor's ethic. Because what happens when temptation comes around again? Oh, I guess because Jesus forgave me of my sins, I've got to i got to sidestep this temptation. And it leads to a debtor's ethic. We are indebted to God for our sin. But, the, but, but, but what ha- ends up happening is that we believe and we can force God's hand and stuff. Well, look how good I've been, God. No, when temptation comes our way, it's not the debtor's ethic that's going to help us sidestep that. It is the fact that He has given us His righteousness sin or temptation comes our way and we say no 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 no, hold on i've got the holy spirit living inside of me i've got the righteousness of god living inside of me i've got the law of god written in my heart so i'm going to sidestep this because i'm a new creation the old is gone and the new has come Because God has made it possible for me to be righteous and to give me righteousness. I'm going to sidestep this. Give it the old Heisman juke, right? Just, I'm going to sidestep this and keep on going. Not out of debt to God. Not out of, well, he did so much for me. I guess I'll just buck up and do it. 
but because he gave us his righteousness and he wrote it on our life and he wrote it on our heart and we simply say since you've put it in me now I can do it now I can be righteous it was God's will and it's God's will for every one of us to be righteous. You're like, ah, you don't know my past. You don't know my yesterday. You don't know my future. You don't, you don't know. God did. And he did this anyway. He did this anyway. He was counted among the rebels. He died between two thieves, at least two thieves. One thief mocked him. One thief asked for mercy. And said he interceded for rebels. And what did he do? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He interceded for that rebel. But he continues to intercede for all rebels everywhere. All rebels who have followed their own path instead of God's path. I've been a good person! Compared to who? Jeffrey Dahmer? Way to set the bar high. How about compared to Jesus? We all look like rebels compared to Jesus. But he interceded for us. He went to God and said, no, 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 no them forgive them they don't know what they're doing give them righteousness that's why the baby came that's why the manger scene that's why we can now give each other presents because we celebrate the fact that Jesus came to do this and maybe you're saying, well, if God is Jesus' Father and Jesus is the Son, is, is this like some sort of weird cosmic child abuse? I didn't read the first verse out of this section for, for a purpose. I, want to, I wanted to close with it because it shows the ultimate purpose of this. It shows that it wasn't cosmic child abuse. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. Now today, we want to have the exaltation without the humiliation. Why do I know that? <clears throat> YouTube. YouTube. We want to put ourselves on YouTube and become the next Justin Bieber, right? Right? We want the exaltation, we want the fame, we want the attention without the humiliation. True exaltation comes out of humiliation. And no one has ever been humili humiliated like Jesus, like the servant. Dying naked on a cross, beaten beyond recognition, people mocking him, spitting on him, raffling off his clothes, you know, 50-50 raffle for charity, that sort of thing. 
Oh, and by the way, the embarrassment of everybody's sin on him at that time. Nobody has been humiliated like Jesus. Nobody has been exalted like Jesus either. Resurrected on the third day. Ascended in front of over a hundred people. To sit at the right hand of God the Father. To rule the earth. To sustain everything. And to be the head of his church for all eternity. Jesus went through this humiliation so that God would exalt him. So that his Father would exalt him. The servant was and is exalted. This is what God wants each one of us to know. The servant, Jesus, this one. He was humbled, he was humiliated on our behalf. We were supposed to go through that humiliation. And you know what? Sin is humiliating. We put ourselves through it. But he was humiliated on our behalf so that we can be healed. He was exalted on our behalf so that we could also be exalted in front of God. To be somebody that God sees as completely and totally righteous. Because when God forgives our sin... He doesn't just wipe the slate clean. He gives us all the right living that Jesus gave him. And God looks at us and says, you are the righteous one. Does that. God knew that we were going to sin. God knows that we're going to still do it. God was there. God is there. But God chose to control sin by putting it on the shoulders of His own Son. The question for all of us is who's going to control our future? Who's going to control our future? Is it going to be us? More hurt? More heartache? Or is it going to be God? He says, I will heal all of that because my servant, my son, was beaten and died. Who's going to control our future? Who's going to write our future? Ourselves? Or God? That's the question for everybody this morning. Maybe you were saved. 30, 40, 50, 70 years ago. Maybe you're already saved, but that question still rings true. Who will control my future? Maybe some of you have said, you know what? I've never been washed. I've never been cleansed. I've never received God's righteousness. So what do I do? I wish it was more complex because you'd believe it better if it was complex. But really, you just say, God, I'm tired of my path. Look how beaten up I am. 
I knew that it, I was going to be beaten up, or I didn't know I was going to be beaten up, or I feel like you told me, or somebody told me, I, I'm here. However I ended up, I'm here. And I'm tired of it. Can you forgive me and heal me and cleanse me? Give me your righteousness now. That's it. That's it. Out of a heart that wants to change tracks. To one that healing, holiness, righteousness, forgiveness, and salvation is the track. God knows the future. God controls the future. God is in the future. And it should be comforting that despite all of our sin, He still has done this. But even bigger than that, because of our sin, He's done all this. Who's in control of your future? You or God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for sending your servant. And my heart is is not always in, in awe awe of what you have done, and my heart isn't always amazed by it. It's like, oh yeah, okay, you you were born another Christmas or another Easter. Let us all be in a spot where our hearts are flooded with awe and gratitude and amazement over the fact that the sweet, precious baby, his destiny, your will, was to be mutilated on our behalf. Allow my heart to experience that allow all of our hearts to experience that for the one or ones that are here this morning that are dealing with the if onlys sweep in and let them experience the cleansing power that takes the if onlys and throws them away God, let us all this morning say, you are in control of my future. I don't know what that means. All I can see is the step in front of me, but you are in control of my future. Really let that be the prayer of our heart each and every day. You know it. You control it. And you're already there. So you be the one to control. Thank you. Love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As the band plays and we reflect, simple question Who's in control? of your future.
And what do you want to do about it? A couple of us will be in the back to help you process through any questions or any, any, any confusion in your heart to pray with you. Otherwise, just let God speak to you about who's in control of your future and what He wants you to do about it. Stand with us.